Father, deep within our spirits, speak to us now as we come to your word. We come reverently to it. You have spoken, God, that we might be saved. We want to hear from you today, God. Set apart our hearts to hear. Let the soil be good so that your word can take root. Thank you that we get to worship you, God. When we worship you, we are free. God, we've been made to worship something. God, let it be you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. We're going to be continuing in our series in Romans today, so I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 18 through 32. We'll finish up the, the chapter this morning. If you've been reading ahead, you know this is a power-packed passage. This is a big passage. This is a big passage. (laughs) And we don't want to undersell. We don't want to oversell. We just want to find out what does God's Word have to say and um, not make more of it than is there and certainly not make less of it. God's, there's freedom, there's power in the reception and living by God's Word. And that's what we want as our as our example. Yeah, I mean, as Pastor Robert already said this morning, we want to be people of the truth, right? We want truth. <laughs> we want to know the truth, right? Even though it's hard, what is it? God, speak to us, God, that we might be saved, we might be sanctified, we might be changed, we might walk in wisdom and not foolishness, God. So that's our prayer this morning. And so we will uh, look now at Romans 1, 18 to 32. I'll just go ahead and, and read the first verse here, verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so uh, this is, I mean, this is a strong verse. This leads into the section. In fact, it kind of leads into the whole next few chapters. Uh, Last week we looked at uh, verse 16 and 17 where we are told that uh, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation, right, to those who believe. And now he's going to explain it over the next four and a half chapters. This is the purpose, really, of this series, is to explain, explain the foundations of the gospel. And he starts out, here's the first major idea we've got to understand, that, um, that man is in need of redemption, because man and woman and children... Humanity have gone our own way. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against the Holy God. And so we need to experience redemption and deal with this thing called the wrath of God against sin. Who Justly, justly. And we, we, we need to see this as a good thing, that God hates sin. It is right that the wrath of God is revealed. You know, we sit there and we say, yeah, but First John 4, 8 says that God is love. God is love. <laughs> yeah, yes. And he is love. That is his very essence. That is his very nature. That is the reason. That's the motivation for a relationship with us in the first place. But friends, if we're going to talk about the love of God without the wrath of God, we have separ- we're not being honest to the text. We're not being honest to his character. And really, we're not being honest to what love is. If we're not going to find out, if, we're not, if he's not going to reveal to us what his wrath is focused toward, how is that fair to us to let us know, here are some things that need to be worked on? When I was taking bus driver training, I, I made, made two mistakes on the, my final exam, and one of them was that I parked on a hill. You know, you put it in neutral. They didn't have park in those buses. You put it in neutral, and then you uh, apply the brake. I forgot to apply the brake. Okay, 
I'll give you that one. We're rolling backwards down the hill. Wasn't smart. So I tell the guy, okay, what's the other one? You made two mistakes. Okay, well, I got one. What's the other one? I can't tell you. Wait a minute. You got to tell me. What, so I know how to fix what, what did I do wrong? Oh, I can't tell you. It's against the rules for me to tell you. Okay, you know that's ridiculous. Well, I know it's ridiculous, but it's still the rules. That's not smart. That's not, that's not common sense. And so what God does in his grace mm-hmm. to define, to give expression to his love yes. is outline for us what his wrath is revealed against. This is the favor of God to us. Yeah. So God speaks to us of our problem, which is our sin, our rebellion against him, and that he is a holy God and a just God, and that he will judge fairly and truly and that there's consequences for sin. I think we know that. We've experienced that when we're honest with ourselves. We've done our own thing, and we've gone, oh, that was not good how that turned out. Right? So God mercifully, graciously, lovingly, as Pastor Robert said, speaks to us so that we can be invited back into his presence through his son. That's what God longs for. He wants a loving relationship with us. He, does, he speaks to us of our sins so that we don't stay there, so that we repent I turn, come back to me, to to a merciful God who then says, I want to be back in fellowship with you through uh, my son. And I think we live in a culture today that this is important. I think these texts is important because we live in a culture today that likes to sort of ignore the fact that we are sinners. They want to see people as basically good, right? I have a person in my family that I'm close to. On Mary's side, who says, you know, there's no such thing as sin. We don't, we don't sin, right? We make some mistakes now and then, but we don't sin. That's wrong, she says. Well, you're wrong, right? Because the Bible says, God says, right, we've got a problem. And it's our sin. It's what creates a, a wall of separation, it says in Isaiah 59. And so God lovingly and mercifully says, here is my invitation back through my son. And if there is punishment coming, which the Bible says that there is, because of sin, it is wrong of God to not tell us what that sin is, to give us the opportunity to repent of it and allow him to deal with it in Christ. So in, in goodness to us, he lets us know what the problems are. And here's what happens with the church. We tend to take the hard things, you know, we tend to take the things that God's really mad about and blow those out of proportion. And all we can deal with is how angry God is. And we forget to tell him, oh yeah, but there's Jesus and he's the, <laughs> he's the answer for our yes, sin. Yes. And we tend to think that, well, God has placed us as the judge. He has not placed us as the judge. There's a difference between mm-hmm. informing and enforcing. <laughs> it is the responsibility of the church to just inform. This is just what the, the Bible says. But God is the one, and he makes that very clear in chapter 2. He is the one who is the judge. It is not us. It is not our place to judge. One brother told me, your name is not even on the ballot to be elected judge. It is not our place. (laughs) God is the one who judges, and so is the church. We need to be careful to present all of the gospel, but not to over-present any part of the gospel. Yeah, so it's really important to be careful to (laughs) preach the whole gospel, to do both, right? To speak of sin and to speak of God's judgment against sin, but also to speak of his love and his grace and his mercy. We don't get it right unless we get the whole thing, and we don't want to err on either side uh, of these. It is kind of common, I think, for all of us even to look at this list, and this list today has lots of things that people do wrong, right, that God's going to talk to us about today to kind of pick our favorites that we don't do, right, but everybody else does, right, and point those out in their lives. 
Uh, and we want to be careful not to do that either. We want to see that God has given us this list because we all need to face ourselves. Our biggest problem is not the person next to us, right? Our biggest problem is ourselves, right? That's what we got to deal with. And, and what God is trying to get us to do and encourage us to do here is to face um, our challenge that we have of this sin nature inside of us and to find his solutions and his uh, freedom uh, in the gospel. When we look at the Bible, just as it's presented, there is enough for each one of us to deal with. Uh, Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's them parts that I do understand. Uh, that, that's, that's a pretty good line, isn't it? And, you know, as we look at this list, it's going to be tempting to think, now what in the world is that in the same list with that for? Man, that one's so obviously terrible because I would never do that. Ah, we've set ourselves up as the judge again. I know it's terrible because I would never do that. Yeah, we're not the judge. And my little bitty one, oh, it's just such a little bitty one. No, it is in the same list because it's not a matter of the fruit on the tree as we talked two weeks ago. It's not the fruit of the tree that causes the problem. It's the root. And until the root is dealt with, every one of us have a problem. We have a separation set between us and God. It is sin, not sins that create the problem. This list that we're going to look at are expressions of the root, but mm -hmm. they are just expressions yeah. of the same root. We all share that same root of fallen nature and rebellion against God. Yeah, so let's be careful not to make the mistake of seeing one of these sins as greater than the other. Let, let's make sure we see that our problem mm -hmm. is our sin nature that bears its fruit in, in lots of uh, different ways. And let's be careful that we also don't then become judges of others who have this problem that I don't have, but really graciously uh, look at what the problem is that I need to deal with. And then I, the one I really can deal with is my own uh, personal heart. So this, this text comes as a warning to us, I think, um, and an invitation to us to look at the gospel. Um, but it also, I think, speaks to us uh, in a way that would humble us, right? Because all of us are found here. And, and to learn from this struggle and battle that this chapter speaks of uh, in a way that makes us be humble and gracious to others, right? Well, let's be gracious to one another. We're all fighting this difficulty of a sin nature, every one of us. And the cross is the level ground of grace and mercy that all of us need so that we can be a gracious uh, body of believers to each other. It says in verse 18, God's wrath is revealed because at the very end, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And friends, when we hold back part of, when we overemphasize part of any of the message, we are suppressing the truth. This is the whole story of it. And so we want to deal with the full picture of it, recognizing that I am in this passage as much as anybody else, the ones that I would like to condemn the most. No, I'm in the same bucket with them mm -hmm. apart from Jesus. Look at what he says there in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What can be known about him is plain because he has revealed it. Friends, there are some things that can be known about God, and there are some things that cannot be known about God, and we just get to be okay with that. that that's just the reality of our situation. We just need to be okay with that. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things which he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. There are some things that he still has not revealed to us, and we have to be okay with that. But verse 19 tells us that what he wants us to know, what can be known about God, is plain. Yes. 
because he has shown it to them, to us. Yeah. Our God is just and he's fair and he will deal with us according to what he has revealed to us. He doesn't expect us to know things we don't know, but to seek after him, to know what he has told us in his word. And he has revealed everything we need to know uh, for our salvation and our well-being and our sanctification and our growth and our preparation to meet him someday as our judge. He's made those things known so that we can respond appropriately. Uh, he has revealed himself to us in so many ways. Uh, this passage will talk about how he's revealed to us in, in creation. But he's revealed to us uh, in our conscience, right? We have a, a sense of morality in our, our minds of what's right and what's wrong. That is God speaking to us. He reveals us himself to us through his people, through church. Uh, I don't know how you can come to church, a church that preaches the gospel and people know Jesus and not see him. He is evident in this place. Why are we here and not skiing today, right? Well, maybe the weather's not great today, but... But, but, but apart the, from that. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I mean, the, the, we are here worshiping, right? And we see it. And, we, and in his word, he, he speaks to us clearly about himself. Um, and then ultimately and finally in the person of Jesus Christ. He has made himself known through the living word of God, what it looks like to be God in human flesh. So he has made himself known to us graciously so that, justly, we're without excuse if we ignore him, right? Here I am. Come, follow me. Look at what he says there in verse 19. Here's what can be known. Here's the first revelation he points to. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 24, because in his, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What he's saying is there is enough of the revelation of God in nature to get any thinking person to realize there is purpose behind the design. And as we look at creation, it reveals two things in verse 20. It tells us his eternal power, his divine nature. Whoever did this has power and they know what they're doing. You know, one of, the exp one of the things you do with your kids when you're homeschooling them is you take a bag of small, tiny, tiny seashells and pour it out on the table and say, okay, what do these seashells tell us about God? Now, if you leave them alone, they'll come up with some pretty amazing things, you know. But he's a God of diversity. He's a God of intricacy. And can you imagine Jesus sitting there creating all those different seashells, punching himself, saying, watch this. This is going to freak them out. Can you imagine that? What does God, what do we see about God just in the observation of nature? How can we look at it and not go, dear God, thank you for allowing me to see that, for revealing yourself to me in just allowing me to see that. That was a pretty cool blood moon a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Full eclipse on a blood moon. And God allowed us to see that, the complete beauty that he has revealed of himself in nature. Yeah, imagine how excited he was for us to discover the cocoa bean. Oh, praise oh, God. Oh, my gosh. They got it. They finally <laughs> found it, right? <laughs> or the coffee bean. No. <laughs> no. Let's go back to the cocoa or bean. Or how about silica sand? Semiconductors. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Changed our lives, right? God is so excited for us to enjoy and see in his creation this morning, not this morning, but a week this morning, I was taking some friends to the airport, and there was the little slice of the moon, 
and then Venus, and then Jupiter. It was just beautiful. Maybe you saw that. But our God is a God of just great beauty that you can see. And then in a more finite sense, the, the intricate design of creation. Right? I was reading a, a little bit this week in preparation for this, uh, a book that I enjoy called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. It speaks of, of these uh, kinds of things, evidence for God. But a scientist writes, he says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if we were, <laughs> God knew we were coming. This place was made for somebody. There are 15 constants, he writes, the gravitational constant and various constants about strong and weak nuclear forces, etc., that have precise values. And if any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, it wouldn't be suitable for life. Isn't that unbelievable? The precision that God has made this world, and we're to look at it in the, in the biggest context, in the most precise context, and say, whoa, right? <laughs> There is a creator behind all of this. The Bible says that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to search it out. And can you imagine, Jesus, when we're getting close to finding the treasures in the sand? We talked about a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kevin's talking about with silicon, that God's up there punching himself, saying, look, they're getting close. They're getting close. They're almost there. They're about to find one of them. Can you imagine? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And don't you want to be one of the kings that finds in his revelation his eternal power and his divine nature? That's the, that's the quest that he invites us into, that he draws us into. And then he begins the indictment. Here's the reading of the indictment. The indictment against humanity. This is how we have separated ourselves from a loving God listed in these passages. Look there in verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, here's the problem, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Remember that one next time we sit down to eat. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. <clears throat> See, this text tells us that we are going to be worshipers, right? We are going to worship something. We've been made to worship. Um, that's why I love coming to church, because there's something great about worshiping with God's people. It's a delight to my heart, and it is to yours, right? And, and it delights my heart that it's a delight to yours. You know, that there's, there's just heat that comes in worship together. And we've been made to worship. And if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something. Yeah, something. And it's going to be dark, right? If we worship anything else, it's dark. And um, I've been places where I have seen idol worship. I've been to temples in Chicago where people were bowing before idols, and it's just, like, sickening because, like the Bible says, they can do nothing. <laughs> they don't think. They don't see. They don't move. It's ceramic. They break when they fall. And so we need to be a people that worships God. Look at what it says they did. They knew God, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. If you're not going to acknowledge the existence of what you know to be true, you're not going to be thankful. <laughs> you're not going to say thank you to one that you refuse to acknowledge their presence. I like that old French 
quote that says, ingratitude is the root of vice. Their failure to just say, dear God, thank you. I really appreciate your intervention on my behalf. They knew God. They knew that God was the one who created it, but they exchanged. They, mm-hmm. they replaced. No, we're going to take him off the throne, and yeah. we're going to put anything else on the throne. Now, in this particular example, in verse 23, it says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. When I was 19 years old, put that picture up there if you would, please, Troy. When I was 19 years old, I was in Mexico and stood in front of that thing. That's the one of the calendars of the Central American peoples, and things about seven feet in diameter. He said, what they have figured out is that the central circle is the over, overarching God, but that the four squares around it represent four epochs, four epochs of time in that culture's history, which were governed by four subordinate gods. The first god in those four was a human. The second god in those four was a bird. The third god in those four was a beast. And the fourth god was a snake. Would you like to look Mm -hmm. at verse 23 again? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles in the exact same order. And even as a 19-year-old standing there, didn't have two brain cells banging against each other, I was able to go, that's interesting. Boy, that's an interesting order right there. It is the exact portrayal of the indictment begun against humanity. So we will worship, right? We, we are made to worship by our good God. And um, if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. And, and it probably isn't going to be too much in our culture, idols, right? In other cultures, that's more prominent. Some places still in America that occurs. But we're more likely to worship other idols that sometimes we don't even recognize have become idols. Our wealth, right? our beauty, popularity, our power, uh, those are things that we will give our hearts to and delight in more than anything else and put in the center of our hearts. And the Bible warns us that when we put anything other than God into that God spot (laughs) where he belongs, at the center of our hearts, the place where we worship and put him first, we put anything else there, it messes with our mind. Our minds get messed up. It says, when they did this, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we worship something other than God, our minds get dark and get crazy. And we know this. And in fact, science is helping us here now, right? Where people who have given themselves to things other than God as their first and favorite passion, their mind gets wired that way, and they can't stop. They can't resist. We know this. The Bible says it's called slavery. We are slaves to sin. We give ourselves to sin and we become slaves to it. And our minds literally take us and force us down the crazy road. Even though we know it's bad for us, even though we know we're destroying our family by doing it, we still do it. Because God says, when you don't put me at the center, you go crazy in the head. And the result of it is futility in their thinking. It messes with your mind. There is a cause and effect that goes on here. When we look at truth, when we know what truth is and turn our back on it, there is an effect that takes place from our cause. 
And the, the beginning of that downward slide is the futility of their thinking. They're not able to hold a right thought in their mind anymore. And we're going to sit here and say it's because I'm so open-minded. Well, there's a difference between being open-minded and airheaded. Okay, To hold all possibilities, that's, that's what it means to be enlightened. And to recognize the intricacy of creation demands someone is behind this thing is reasonable. It is right and reasonable to conclude that. But there is a cause and effect. Now, we're not talking open theism where God's just sitting back saying, oh, what are they going to do? I wonder what decisions they're going to make. We're not talking about that. God has initiated. He has begun this conversation. And our response to that is to say, yeah, no. There is a, an effect to that. And the downward spiral begins with that choice on our part. And God says, look, if that's what you want your choice to be, I can be down with that. It's not going to end well. Knock yourself out. But there are results that attend to the choices that we make. And God says, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So we're going to see these next few verses. They're, they're kind of frightening. At least they are to me. I think <coughs> they will, will be for all of us as we just look at them really honestly. But God says, when you choose to go your own way, even though I plead with you to come back, even though I speak truth to you, if you neglect me and go in your own way, then I just give you over to your sin. And as I think about that personally, I, I say that sometimes in my prayers to God. Like if I have had uh, a day where I've slipped and fallen in some ways, I say, God, please, please, God, mercifully, don't give me over to my sin. Right? Don't give me over to that as a habit. Don't let me go down that path so that I get enslaved by it. Have mercy on me, God, please. And so we're going to see this is what, what God does. Go ahead. Have your way. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So he gives them up, right, because they were going that way. Okay, have your way. So he goes on, he says, that they did as they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. He tells them not only what they did, there in verse 24, he gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. But he also tells us why he did it. What he did, he gave them up. And then he tells us why he did it. Because they exchanged, they replaced, they took the place of God, they took God out of his rightful place and they put anything, anything else in the place of God. And because of that, God's response to that is that I'm going to give you up to the lust of your heart, to impurity, because you have chosen to exchange. He uses that word, gave them up, three times, verses 24, 26, and 28. It means to just give over to the consequences of to allow someone to suffer the consequences of their own choices, to carry the weight of their own decisions. What this means is God is not codependent. <laughs> the definition of codependent is when we do not allow someone else to suffer the consequences of their own choices. If we're always bailing them out, if we're always fixing their problems, if we're always making everything better, mommy and daddy can fix all the boo-boos, that's called codependent. And God is not codependent. God allows us in complete respect for who we are as his sentient created beings to suffer the consequences of our own choices. It is a cause and effect. And God says, if you want to make that choice, here are the natural results of it. 
And we get angry at parents who are always bailing their kids out. We need to remember that when we get angry at God because he doesn't bail us out. No, he allows us the right to suffer the consequences of our own choices. So we see here in this text kind of a ramping up, actually, of the consequences, right? We neglect the truth, and then he uh, says, okay, if you do that, your minds get dark. And then when your minds get dark, you put things in places of, of God. And then he says, okay, you do that. I, I'm still calling you back. Come back, come back. If you do that, now I'm going to give you over to this thing he's calling lust of the hearts and to uh, impurity. There is a danger, I think, a unique danger, I think, uh, when we don't worship God to give ourselves to sexual sin. That there's something about sexual sin that when we don't worship, it becomes kind of an automatic fill in the human heart. There's something about uh, what sex does in our hearts and in our minds that it is uh, has some similarities to worship. And when we don't worship, God says, here's where the natural human heart is going to go sexual immorality, and sexual impurity. And so we need to guard our hearts against all sin, and in particular against sexual sin by being worshipers. Love Jesus. Be emotional with Jesus. Connect with his hearts, right? Experience that lifting up in the heart that comes when you worship him. Fill your heart with worship that protects you against all sin, but in uniquely, I think, in this text against sexual sin. And because, look there in verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, look at what he does in verse 26. For this reason, because they exchanged the truth, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. When it says in verse 26, contrary to nature, friends, that is as much a definition of sin as anything else. What is the created purpose? What was in the mind of the creator when he created the thing? To take that thing and to use it contrary to its created purpose, the Bible tells us would be to no advantage for us. That's what, it's, that's what that word means, it's to no advantage. And to take a sculpture of a, a Michelangelo sculpture and use it as a doorstop at a fraternity house this would be contrary to the original design of the one who created the thing. What is the purpose of it? And when Paul is writing to these churches and when he's speaking to us, he is looking at the natural result of a mind that has rejected God in the first place and how it has expressed itself in their sexual conduct in their culture and in our culture. It is right for us to recognize that this is, we have got to maintain things in line with created purpose of the one who designed the thing. And the Bible speaks really clearly uh, about the created purpose of humanity, why God created men and women. And he says that a man and a woman, one man and one woman are to come together in marriage for a lifetime, in a lifetime covenant and commitment. That is his purpose in marriage and in sexuality is to bring one man and one woman together. And it's pretty clear in this text and really actually several others in the Bible. It's uniform throughout the Bible. Uh, I think about seven times same-sex attraction is mentioned, and it's always negative. It's uniform across the scriptures. And so uh, we have to see this is God's design uh, according to the scriptures. Actually... <laughs> God's design for sexuality is really narrow. 
in all kinds of ways, right? Seven billion people on the planet, and God says, I want you to find one, <laughs> right? And have sex with them and be faithful to just that one. 6.9 billion no's, right? All kinds of no's in our sexuality, but one yes. That one person that you, uh, in a covenant of marriage, stay faithful to throughout your lifetime. And what Paul is arguing is this. His statement is, if there is a God, and if that God is right in his creation, and if this book is a correct expression of his revelation, then it is right for us to submit to that God. That's what he's arguing. And frankly, it's a reasonable argument. It's a reasonable conclusion. If there is a God who did create us with a purpose and has revealed himself in Christ through his only holy word, the Bible, it is right for us to submit to him through Christ as revealed in the Bible. And as far as religion life is concerned, that's our goal, that's our desire, to find out his purpose for our life and submit to that as best we possibly can under the direction of his word. Now, I want us to see uh, <coughs> this is not the ultimate expression of rebellion, sexual sin of any type. In fact, the list now progresses further. Right? This is in the list, but it's hardly the ending point. But we're going to see now that the consequences of refusing to hold God in our minds and submit to him goes to a further level yet. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. So God says, now, um, as you progress, I'm giving you up because you're staying in your rebellion. Now here it is. I'm giving you up to all manner a complete surrender to unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. And here is the long list of what that looks like, right? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And they're looking for volunteers for nursery workers. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? We like to stop at that part of the list which talks about everybody else and forget that part that, uh-oh, that could be talking about a church prayer meeting right there. Because how many times has gossip and slander been used and we call it a prayer request? Friends, this list... This list encompasses every one of us. It deals with all of us, and all of us have experienced these. And how many of them do we look at and we go, well, that's not that big of a deal. And yet God has these at the end. These are the final expression of our rebellion against God. Disobedient to parents? That, I'm sorry, that, that's just interesting to me that that's in this list. But you know what? When you think, that is the very core of what it means to learn submission and obedience. We submit to our parents because they are a representation of what it means to submit to Christ, which means parents, grandparents, great-greatly-grandparents, we have the responsibility to be that example to our children. And we can stop 
We can stop at the, in this list where those other people are. Or we can go right to the core of who we are and say, God, it's not, it's not, it's not about making sure all of those people are doing right. God, I want to be right in my relationship with you. Find ourselves in this list, and every one of us can do that. And it gets right down to the heart of the matter. It is our heart very often and our tongue very often that expresses our heart, Jesus said, right? that are at the core of our uh, broken and fallen humanity. And so to say, God, show me, God, where I need to repent and where I need to turn and where I need to be different, where I need to receive your mercy and your grace. And in fact, this whole list is really intended to invite us back to him. It's not to make us feel bad. It certainly does that, right? All of us look at this list and go, oh, my gosh, like I'm a failure. Well, that's not God's purpose. His purpose is to invite us back to forgiveness and grace and mercy and restoration and this beautiful word redemption where God even takes all of our broken places and makes us better for having gone through it. That's redemption, the ultimate defeating of evil. And God says, now come on back, right? Pay attention to what I'm saying. Don't stay in your sin that's killing you, but repent and come back to me. Look at the expression of this in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, just to say, yep, God's the one that did it. Really thankful for that. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. One commentator said that that could be translated to read, they would not be able to think a right thought if they wanted to. God has given them up to the natural consequences of a life that begins in rebellion against God. And when we look at the end of the list, this, this is the big stuff here. How many of these have to do with the tongue? Look at what it, sa- look at what it says there in... Um, uh, gossips, slanderers, boastful. And how many of these have to do with you can do them without ever saying a word? Envy, deceit, maliciousness, insolent, haughty, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Say that three times real fast. How many of how many of just an attitude of the heart? And God says this is the epitome. This is the epitome. This is the ultimate expression of someone who has turned their back on God. All of these other sexual sins, yeah, these, mm-hmm. these aren't good, but every one of us find ourselves here, and God says there's a way out of this. This is the glory of the gospel, that when we were separated from God in our sin, he made a way to bring us back to God, whether we're the really bad ones or just the little bitty ones. No, these little bitty ones. This is the end of the list. This is the epitome of what it means to reject God. Band, you can come on up. So let's, let's do what God would tell us to do with truth, <laughs> and that is not suppress it, right? but receive it. Um, to receive it as his good gift of warning, to receive it as his good gift of calling us back, to receive it as his good gift to speak of his holiness and his justice in ways that maybe our culture wouldn't have us see it. And to say, you know, even though I may not fully understand, even though I may not fully agree, even, but to, I'm going to listen to your word, God, because you are wise, you are all wise, and you're always right, and you speak truth, you have made us, you know what is best for us, and we are going to listen to it, and we're going to respond to it, and we're going to come back to a God who loves us, and calls us to repentance, but always has open arms of reconciliation and says, come back to me. Don't put yourself in a place where I just let you go. Come back. I I love you. I care deeply about you. I want to walk with you as your good father. Listen to this list. Over in Proverbs chapter 6, he says there are six things that God hates. 
Seven are an abomination to him. Listen to what they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Have you ever said something that wasn't true about someone? Have you ever shed innocent blood? A heart that devises wicked plans. That's when we're laying in bed at night figuring out how we're going to get even. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And here's the seventh one. One who sows discord among the brethren. That's what God hates. Those are the six. He hates seven that are an absolute abomination. Not a one of them have to do with sexual sin. They every one have to do with things that every one of us have brought into the house of God. And he looks at us and says, look, here's the indictment. This is the indictment read. And as the accused, we can stand here and fight it and lose, or we can confess quickly, you're right, I did it. God, I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me of my rebellion against you, of my refusal to acknowledge you, my refusal to just say, wow, thank you. God, would you please forgive me Bring me into that relationship with you through Christ. It's a good thing that God hates those things because they do harm to us. They do harm harm to our humanity, to our families, to our relationships with people that we love. God hates those things because they harm us and they're against his glory. But here's the good news. Though God is just and hates them, he took out that hatred on his son on our behalf. The wrath of God that this text talks about that is justly deserved because of the harm it does to us, that wrath was taken out on his son. God looked at his son and he saw him in that moment as the chief of sinners. And he paid him the wrath that was due us. So that when we receive Jesus and what he did for us, we receive the righteousness of God. And he looks at us as his child holy and perfect before him, even though that isn't our actual practice. We possess the righteousness of Christ. And he says, children of God, my creation, trust in my son. Trust in him. Receive him. Receive him as your wrath bearer and your righteousness. Come into a perfect, restored relationship with me through Jesus. And all of us can do that through repentance and faith. You say, God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I've done my own thing. I've turned my back on you. Please forgive me. I receive what your son did for me. And when you do that, the Bible says in an instant, we are made new. We are made his child. We are forgiven. We are given eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel. So, Father, we want to ask you to forgive us. We, we stand guilty under the indictment that we knew God and we refused to honor you as God or to be thankful. God, we're really sorry about that. Father, when we wake up in the morning and we look around at the blessings that you have entrusted to us and we don't stop to say, wow, thank you. God, we're we're sorry. We want to ask you to forgive us for that. But Father, for a heart that has turned away from you, there's only one remedy and that is a new heart. God, we took, we exchanged the image of God, the glory of God for the, the, the image of a fallen, of a mortal man, bird, beast, creeping thing. And God, we're sorry. We want to ask you, would you please take that heart of stone, which is the result of our own dishonor of you, 
and replace it with a heart of flesh that beats after your will, that, that responds to your interaction. God, please change us because of Jesus.